If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Today we're in Matthew, chapter 7. For weeks now, we've been going through the greatest sermon ever preached. The sermon the Lord preached, beginning in Matthew 5, often called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck in your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We've been in this message for weeks now, and the Lord is now bringing this sermon to a close. He's in the latter part of it. He has spoken about many different topics as he's focused on what the kingdom of God is like. In the beginning, he talked about different kingdom qualities or characteristics that people who are citizens of God's kingdom have. Then he talked about different kingdom responsibilities that we have when he mentioned about being salt and being light. He also mentioned about the different freedoms that people in the kingdom of God have and what motivates them as they influence others. And now he turns in this portion of his conclusion. He turns at the end of the message to addressing how people in the kingdom of God deal with one another. John chapter 13, verse 35, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I remember very distinctly, although it was very, 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 very long ago, when I was dating my wife. It just seemed like the birds were singing every day. <laughs> every song on the radio was a love song. Every day the sun came out, no rain. It seemed like for months. Then that moment came when I decided I wanted to bring this young lady home to meet my family. Now, if any of this is a similar experience for you, then you probably did what I did. As you were going to bring this person that meant so much to you home, you sat your family down and had a conversation and said, now look. <laughs> this person is special to me. I may want her to be part of the rest of my life. We're going to be a loving, caring family if it kills us. Because you understood something. You understood that in bringing someone home to meet your family, who you might want to be your family, they were going to get an indication of what the word family meant to you. Amen. By seeing how your family interacted with one another. 
All too often we get this idea, although it's a key part of being a witness for Christ, that the most important thing about that that the world sees is how we treat them. That's important. But equally, if not more important, is how we as Christians treat one another. How we deal with each other is as much of a factor in winning the lost as how we deal with them. And the New Testament bears that out. Many things were given as encouragement and admonitions to guide how we deal with one another. First John chapter 4 says we're to love one another. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says we're to comfort one another. Hebrews chapter 3 says we're to in encourage one another. There are over 52 references in the New Testament that have the phrase one another in them. Basically, God knew we were going to have issues with one another. And here Jesus focuses on how we often judge one another. And he provides some incentive when it comes to this issue of judgment. Judge not that you be not judged. And that the way you and I judge one another is the way we will be judged. This really comes down to how much consideration we give to one another. Now, our goal is always should be to affirm one another, regardless of the person's beliefs, regardless of the person's attitude, regardless of the person's mindset, the person that you happen to be standing next to and staring at, at any given moment, that person was made in the image of Almighty God. Amen. And we want to be able to lift people up. It's an old phrase, don't judge someone until you've walked in their shoes. Amen. The phrase has merit. But Jesus goes further in saying don't judge because the reality is the overwhelming majority of the times that we step out into the realm of being a judge to other people, we're on an ego trip. Most times, we're judging people by very specific criteria. We're judging them by perhaps things in their life that they've not conquered, that we identify with, but there are things in our life we have conquered. So for some unknown reason, although we've conquered that, we seem to have forgotten the struggle that we went through to get to the place of victory. Also, when you and I judge other people, guess who becomes the standard by which other people get measured? It's you and I. I'm measuring you about something because, after all, the reality is, and everybody should know it, I'm wonderful. <laughs> you see, if you're going to judge someone, and the Bible isn't saying don't judge, it's just don't do it in a sinful way. But if you're going to judge someone, the only standard by which anybody should be measured, his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. And the thing is, if you're going to judge someone based upon the Lord, well, they're going to fall short. But guess what? So are you and I. And that should lead, should lead to a bit of compassion and understanding in this whole area. People fall short, but so do we. We tend to jump on things so quickly. We see something happen and we say, I have to jump on that. I can't let that go. I have to bring that down. 
I have to take you out. And we have this urgency. I can't let that pass. Because we're all of a sudden worried about what will happen if I do let that go. So isn't it interesting how this particular passage in Matthew chapter 7 immediately follows the Lord's teaching on don't worry. And take no thought for tomorrow. No surprise. Because the end result of most human judgment is destroyed fellowship. It divides people. And the people who are actually doing the judging, it tends to kind of puff them up. So no matter how well you're doing, and you truly may be in the fantastic, wonderful, all-inspired one category today, there are always areas in your life and in my life where we fall short. Amen. Jesus gives us a great word picture about this whole idea of judgment. He says, going back to verse 3, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck in your eye, and, look at the, and not look at the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let me put those in 2020 terms. How can you take the toothpick out of your own eye when there's a telephone pole sticking out of yours? <laughs> That's about the measurements we're going for here. You see, the wrong actions of others, the legitimately actual wrong action of others do not excuse you and I from removing focus from the wrong actions and issues in our own lives. The wrong actions of others never permit me to delay in dealing with the issues I'm dealing with. So take the beam, take the telephone pole, take the plank out of our own eyes before trying to remove it from anybody else's. And notice it didn't say don't judge. Just don't do it this way. It didn't say that we shouldn't try to be used by God and let the Holy Spirit use us to take the speck out of our brother's eye. It just says, do first things first. Judge not why. Because you and I possess something that will be true for as long as we're alive. You and I will always have limited understanding. We will never see fully. We only see partially. The only one who is able and competent to judge is someone who can see the entire picture. And that person is God. Amen. He's the only one who can see from beginning to end. He's the only one who can see the entire picture. He's the only one who can see from past to future. He's the only one who knows where everything is going. So we let him judge. But we still engage in these things. Nothing will ruin a, a relationship faster than judgment. You coming off as the arbiter of all things acceptable, that'll just, that just completely ruin a relationship. James chapter 4, the writer says, beginning in verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. 
He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? We tread on dangerous ground when we set ourselves up as judges. We need to find a place where we truly can be helpful, where God can truly use us to convey some wisdom, and I would like to say it's divine wisdom, but in our culture today, it's, I see it as common sense. But before we're going to point out issues in someone's life, that conversation, I believe, needs to happen within the framework of a relationship. Someone coming up to me on the street corner and telling me things I need to know, they might be spot on. The first question I'm going to ask them is, who are you? Who are you? Well, God sent me to talk to you. Okay, so let's have a conversation. Let's become friends. Let me be able to assess that you truly do care about me. And then in the building of a relationship, I can get to a point where I can then truly care about you and care about anything you have to say. And then from that context and that relationship, we can be used by God to help one another. Amen. People need to know you care. And they need to know you care for them. And they need to know you care for them with no strings attached. And not judging doesn't mean don't get involved. Verse 5 says, take the speck out, but after a process has happened. We're commanded to be there for one another. Just not with this I'm better than you are mindset. Our help must be without judgment. Our help must be without ego. Church, our help must be help. Judge not. That actual word in the original language, in the Aramaic here in the New Testament, literally means to condemn or sentence. And I'm sure all of us have been there. Where someone comes up to us, and they're not even criticizing something we're doing. They're coming up to us and criticizing it, and already has passed final judgment and final sentence. No. Judge not. Sentence being reached without first talking to someone. That's not valid judgment. And Jesus said, when we do it to others, you invite it being done to yourself. And I don't know anybody who likes being criticized, criticized about something that no one has spoken to them about. You might get this person coming at you, well, we've been talking when anyone starts a conversation like that, you need to run. <laughs> we've been talking, and we've noticed this, we who? Well, we've been talking, again, we still haven't defined we, or sometimes they'll say, we who are your friends. Oh, really? My friends have been talking about me behind my back. Please continue. Now that we've established the ground rules here. We've been talking about you behind your back, and we've come to this conclusion. You remember the story from Daniel chapter 6, where Daniel was a senior officer in King Darius's court. 
and they didn't like him, the other senior officers, so they came up with this plan to try to get him out and criticize him for his faith and his commitment to pray. So they went to King Darius and said, we want to have this decree that anybody who prays to any, any god except you will be thrown into a den of lions. And we've discussed this among all the senior officers, and we all agree. How many know they didn't talk to Daniel? Right. Judgment. Remember the story of King David when he was about to be anointed king, a shepherd boy. You see, God was done with King Saul. And Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse to find the next king. And Jesse brought all of his sons. Well, no, not all of them. He left one out tending sheep. But he brought all of the other sons to appear before the prophet except Daniel, except David. And Samuel sees the first one, Eliab, and he says, hmm, tall, good looking, yeah, I, and he says, right in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6, I perceive the Lord's anointed is before him. And God says, i got to straighten Samuel out. So in, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, he says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. You see, by all physical standards... David would not have been chosen among his brothers to be king. By all physical standards, he wouldn't have been even considered in the running. And so, but Samuel has to say, these have been refused. Do you have any other sons? Well, yeah, I got one, but you can't be talking about David. See, all too often we look at things only on the outside. And that's not how God looks at life. That's not how God looks at people. We are living in a day where everything is measured simply by how it looks, or how it sounds, or how it appears. That's why we have the division we have in our nation today. That's why we have so many issues, because so, we're looking at things just by how they appear. But God looks at the heart. He looks at what is more important. He looks at what can be hidden sometimes. Now you're going to say, well, that's great that God looks at the heart, but then God can look at the heart. Sometimes you and I can't. No, not as quickly as God does, but we can get close to someone and assess their heart, but then we go back to that requires building a relationship. This whole thing of judgment, again, the Bible doesn't condemn it. Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. That's one of those verses in the Bible where it doesn't say what the right thing to do is, but it says what the wrong thing to do is. So whatever righteous judgment is, we're not giving complete insight into that, but we're given what righteous judgment isn't. And that's judging according to appearances.
So we don't judge people just by the way they dress. We don't judge them by the way they speak. We don't judge them. I need a bigger pulpit for this next one. We don't judge them by who they vote for. We don't judge them by what ideological perspectives they support. We don't judge them by who they follow or don't follow on social media. Because that's how the world moves. That's how the world looks at things and makes judgment by that final assessments. I tend to be a rather passive individual. You've probably figured that out by now. But there are things that really, really, really annoy me. And one of them is, if I, I'm not sure what, how it would happen that I would fly off the handle. But the next time I see someone post on social media that you can't be a Christian if you vote for fill in the blank, I'm liable to lose it. Because being a Christian has absolutely nothing to do with who you support to sit in the Oval Office. Being a Christian has everything to do with who sits on the throne of your heart. Amen. And besides, we're citizens of a different kingdom. Our moral compass is not set by public opinion or what's trending on Twitter. I've used this example before, but it fits so much. Most of you know, I spent 15 years officiating high school football. When you get to a high school football game on a Friday night, there is just an energy. High school football, sadly for many young guys, it's the height of what they experience in life. So there's a lot of fans. There's a lot of attention. There are marching bands. There's fans on both sides. But when it comes right down to it, the contest for a football game involves two teams or two kingdoms. And they basically have their strategies. They have their game plan. They, what they have practiced and decided what they're going to do, even in 2020 at the high school level, they probably have film from the other school that they've assessed how that team plays, what their tendencies are, and they've built a game plan based on that. And they're going out there with one thing in mind. And having done it for 15 years, I can tell you sportsmanship is not their game plan. It's not only to win the game, but to win it decisively and in a way that demonstrates that the other team really should have thought better that morning about deciding to come on the field with them. That's their game plan. But that would be the case if there were only two kingdoms or two teams on the field. But there's a third team on the field, and it's the team of officials, the guys with those stripes on. Our goal, from the moment I step on the field, was to truly and with all my energy not care who wins. 
I remember having way too many conversations with a coach when I was on one sideline, and he obviously did not care for the way in which I was interpreting the rule book. And he would tell me, you're costing me the game. I'm trying to win it. And I actually had a coach tell me, I want to win this game. I care who wins. You don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> and coach, if you keep yelling at me and badgering me, I might just care who wins. <laughs> so we have these two kingdoms, these two teams, and then the officiating team. And it is completely bad officiating for an official to care who wins. I care about one thing. From the moment I set foot on that field to the moment the final clock goes to zeros, I care about one thing, that the rules are followed. That's, right. That's all I care about. Because from my perspective and from the perspective of every other official I've ever worked with for 15 years, the best possible potential that any player can be reached is within the rules of the game. What's happened with the church in America is that we've gotten into a place where we care more about who wins than that the rules are followed. Because the rule book for life is the Holy Bible. Amen. And we care more about who wins than whether or not the rules of the game are followed. And so we choose a team rather than maintain our loyalty to the team of officials. The worst thing any coach could ever do to me is badmouth one of the other officials. I would smile at a coach who did that and say, coach, do you want me to throw a flag in your face? Keep talking about my fellow officials because they're the only team that matters to me. I care about your, 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 your uh, kids. I care that they're healthy. But their best potential for success, their best, for, their best hope for winning today, their best hope for getting to where they want to go in life through the game of football is to play the game of football the way it was intended to be played. The best potential for any individual on this planet is to go through life and live life the way God intended it to be lived. Amen. But we're citizens of a different kingdom. Our moral compass is different. I don't really care what's trending on Twitter. I don't care how many likes and opinion has. I don't want to be in the place of judge. And brothers and sisters, none of us should want to be in that place. None of us. All that's going to do is destroy relationships. And don't we have enough destroyed relationships in our wake today anyway? We were, I was talking with someone before the service. We were talking about the upcoming election and the, the status of our country. And I just commented, we've completely removed the word civil from our vocabulary. If you disagree with me, that's always fighting words. Well, I disagree with a lot of people on a lot of things. 
But after a football game, I was still able to go up to the coach and shake his hands. No matter what he called me during the game. No matter what he told me to do. No matter what. Because he was made in the image of God. His players were made in the image of God. Church, I really want to encourage us today to take these words from the end of Jesus' message to heart. We need to be about building relationships, not tearing them down. And the fastest way to tear them down is to set yourself up as judge and standard and then apply that to other people. I've been in this series for a while and there are about three or four more messages on the Sermon on the Mount. But over the next two weeks, I'm going to take a break from this series and do a tiny little series. Because what I see going on just... I got stuff to say. I got things I want to make clear. Next week, I want to talk, I want to share a message from Ezekiel chapter 43. And the title is simple, Separation of Church and State. What it means to our culture today, but what it really means. And then the week after, the Sunday before this massive election, I'm going to talk about voting. Let me make this clear as well. As long as I am the pastor of this church, no one who ever gets behind this pulpit will be permitted to tell you who to vote for. And if they do, they're going to be shown the door. You vote for whoever your conscience tells you to vote for. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I am going to talk about how we vote. What criteria we use. And then, it's between you and God. Now, this is shaky ground for me because I don't get involved in a lot of this nonsense. Because that's what it is to me. Nonsense. But I've seen it divide God's people. 11 o'clock between 10 or 11 Sunday morning is still the most segregated time in America. When we've got certain Christians going here, some going here, and they don't come together. We need to be the body of Christ. We need to love one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to support one another. We need to uphold one another. We need to pray one for another. Because that's what family does. And right now, if I'm not a Christian, I'm looking at the family of God, they're behaving like some of our families do. Completely dysfunctional. but I want them to see a loving family. A real family. No pretend pretense, but something that can draw them in so they will understand and want the same Savior's love that blesses your heart and that has changed mine. The same Savior who has brought peace and contentment into my heart. The same Savior who has provided direction and guidance and purpose to every breath I take. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said. If you have love one for another. Stand with me, please. <laughs> 